Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we adore you for you're a creator God. It is you who made us and we are yours. Father, we are the overflow of the love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world for all time, eternity past. And Father, because of the love that you had for the Son through the Spirit, you created a people, image bearers of God, to share in that love that you had. That love that the Son reflects back to you and the Spirit magnifies. And Father, we assemble this morning because we love You. You are not just simply an all-powerful Creator God, but You are a God who is intimately involved in the lives of Your creation. Father, we confess, like the song says, we are weak, but You are strong. Father, we thank You for that feeling of weakness, of insufficiency, because it frees us from the delusions of sovereignty and grandeur that we often have. It detangles us from our pride, the pride that says, I am the captain of my fate, I'm the master of my soul. Father, we are yours. Save us. We need you. Fill us. We are cold. Warm us. Father, we come to you on behalf of those that are not here right now. We pray especially right now for Pam Hallenbeck. Lord, she fell and hit her head. Lord, and she needs you. She needs your touch. Lord, we pray for all of those in our congregation that are struggling with illness, with loneliness, with weakness. Father, we cast our cares on you for you care for us. May we know you as shepherd and provider and king. For you are sufficient for all that we need in life and death. In the name that is above all names, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We continue in the book of Mark. Um, we come to the high water mark, in, really, in Mark, of the revelation of who Jesus is prior to the cross in the feeding of the 5,000. It's an uh, account that is recorded in all of the Gospels. And quite honestly, uh, it is a very familiar story to much of us. For those of us who grew up in Sunday school, uh, your creative Sunday school teachers might have brought in little pieces of bread, uh, gave each of you five of them and maybe two goldfish to go along. And uh, you are very familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I pray this morning that the familiarity of that would not cause you to miss the significance of the story. And I would pray this morning that as we 
listen to this story, we would feel our insufficiencies. Because I want you to know, echoing through the, the, the writings of Mark, that when we feel the weight of our insufficiencies, we can trust Christ's sufficiency. Because there is great grace in that. Because until we feel our insufficiencies, we will never cry out to the God who is sufficient, the God who saves, because we trust and we love ourselves. There's beautiful pictures in the story where we see the sufficiency of Christ. Three of those pictures today are the compassionate shepherd, the generous provider, and the faithful king. Uh, Mark is weaving these three beautiful pictures and metaphors and images of who Jesus is into this tapestry. He's arranging these tiles in this mosaic picture of Jesus. He does. And I pray that as we see these and we feel our insufficiencies, we will see how Christ is sufficient as our compassionate shepherd, our generous provider, and our good king. Starting with uh, the beginning in his compassionate shepherd in verse 31 and 34. I don't believe in scripture there's a probably a more known and more loved metaphor that communicates the heart of God than um, the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. The very fact that I just said the Lord is our shepherd, I would imagine all of you in the good King James English are saying in your head, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. I cannot tell you how many times that I have quoted this verse or read this passage um, on a hospital visit beside a, a beloved Christian's deathbed or by their gravesites. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. And that shepherd is not just a harsh shepherd who manhandles his sheep, but he's a compassionate shepherd who cares for both the overwhelmed and he cares for the aimless. Notice how the shepherd's compassion is towards the overwhelmed. Verse 31 and 32, And Jesus said to them, Come away by, your, by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and there was no leisure to eat. And they went away to the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Ministry can be very difficult. It's a 24-7 job that requires that you solve everyone's problems, answer everyone's questions, and jump through everyone's hoops, even if you don't know the answers or the hoops or the expectations. Ministry, and I have learned the more that I've become a pastor and the longer that I've devoted myself to pastoral ministries, that I am insufficient for the demands and the responsibilities that Christ has called the under-shepherds to do. 
And the disciples are feeling that right now. They have just come back from their first tour of duty, if you will. They have been sent out by Jesus with authority to teach the message of Jesus, to cast out the demons, and to heal people. And they come back to Jesus in verse 30, and they tell Jesus about what they've done. But they're tired. We've seen in the the stories of Mark how the people were overwhelming them and overwhelming Jesus, and they had to be crowd control. And I can imagine as they were sent out two by two, the crowds overwhelmed them as well. And now they're coming back and they're excited, but they are slap wore out. And that says that somewhere in the Greek variant, slap wore out. But in the midst of the demands of ministry, Jesus calls his disciples to rest. And he does that by calling them to a desolate place. And literally in the original language is a wilderness place. It's apart from the towns and the villages that are sprinkled around the Sea of Galilee. But it's a place in the wilderness. There's no people. And they say, I know a spot that we can go and then we can escape all the people and just sit and relax and talk and debrief and, and, and spend some time resting away from the demands of this job. Away from the demands and the responsibilities and the hoops so they could rest with Jesus. and Spend time being filled with communion with Jesus. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to ministry. Now, you may not be like me who derives your paycheck from the ministry, but you have been given the commission to go into all the world and make disciples and to serve and love the church and to love your neighbor. And in doing so, you are communicating the truth of God's Word. And Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what does He say? Teaching them all that I have commanded you. We have all been given that responsibility to do ministry in all different ways. And all of, all of you are preaching sermons in hospitals, in classrooms, in the, on the sales floor, in retirement. You are preaching sermons to people and telling them the good news of Jesus Christ in everyday life, from Main Street to Wall Street, from the marketplace to your own home. You are doing the work of ministry. But the work of ministry can be difficult, and we're called to rest to love and serve Jesus by serving His church and our neighbor. Yet the strength to do the work of ministry does not come from your own self and your own strength and your own fortitude. The strength to do the work of, the mission, of, of ministry to fulfill the commission of Jesus is from Jesus. And resting in Jesus. Because I can promise you, when you do the work of ministry, if you're doing it in your own strength, you will burn yourself out quickly, like a candle that's snuffed out in the wind. Therefore, when you feel insufficient 
Turn to Christ in rest, for he is sufficient to care for your soul and to encourage your soul and comfort you and fill you with himself by his spirit. Stop trusting your own power and your own strength and your own wisdom and turn to the shepherd who provides everything you need. Why? Because you are insufficient for the task, but Christ is sufficient. We see this compassionate shepherd who is compassionate to the overwhelmed, but also to the aimless. Verse 33 and verse 34, many saw them going and recognized them, them being the disciples, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Ministry happens in the interruptions. I remember um, when my kids are little, when Crosby is still little, there are times that I want to sit down and I feel good and I want to dispense biblical, pastoral, parental knowledge on my... Ch- I just want to drop some knowledge on them. And they are just... I, I, they are in another universe. And they is, is not even going in one ear now. They are just not there. But I know what happens is when I'm tucking them in at night... And they and I am tired. The day has been long and I am slap wore out. I hear, Daddy, what about those, as parents you know, are the moments that you need to seize and swing for the fences to be able, because the child has opened up their heart to you. Ministry happens in the interruptions where we can pour out the kingdom of God into our precious little children's heart. And it's the same not only in the home, but in the workplace, in, in, uh, in your families. There are moments when the friends and neighbors are guarded and hold things close to the vest, but there are moments when they let that guard down and they ask you for the reason for your hope. And it is those moments that we must seize on because ministry, as we can see with Jesus, happens in the interruptions. And so Jesus, and they're, they're looking to go to get that much-needed rest and relaxation and probably some pretty good uh, wary uh, townspeople noticed their direction and they said, oh, gee, they're going to such and such a place. We don't know where Jesus was going, but the townspeople did. And they figured out real quick, Jesus and the disciples are taking a nice um, Sunday afternoon boat ride across the, lake of, the Sea of Galilee and, the, and all the townspeople were like, we know where we're going, let's go meet him there. It's almost like, and I wasn't going to use this illustration, but I will, it's like you have saved a lot of money and for months you have planned to go out on vacation. And you said, I want to get out of cell phone range. I don't want the drama of the family, of the workplace. We're going to go to a cabin in the woods where there's no one else around. And you save and you scrimp and you do all that and finally the day arrives and you get there, the winding roads, you get that and you pull into that cabin, you find the number and as you start to drive down the driveway, you notice in the cabin next door, your in-law's car is parked there. (laughs) And maybe your cousin Eddie's RV is parked in front of it as well. And you're like, this is not what I wanted. 
I wanted peace and quiet. I have my in-laws and my cousin Eddie and his shenanigans are right there. This is not what I wanted. How would you respond? Anger? Jenny said she would just turn around and go home. Well, we know where the in-laws are. We're going that way. Would you be frustrated? Would you be um, disappointed? This is exactly how Jesus felt. Maybe not with Cousin Eddie in the RV, but it's what Jesus and the disciples felt. Notice what Jesus in verse 34. It said, Jesus had what? Compassion. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The good shepherd does not look at these people with irritation, but with compassion. He does not see them as intruders into his personal space and his personal time, but he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. People that are wandering aimlessly without direction, without purpose, without leadership. They are like boats without a rudder that are tossed to and fro by the wind and carried on by the current, and they don't even know it. And his response, which is the response of the gospel, is he had compassion on them. See, Luke picks up that same Greek word and he uses it to describe the way that the good Samaritan felt towards the man who was beaten on the side of the road. That same word Luke uses to describe the prodigal father when he saw his son at a distance and it said the father looked at him and had what? And loved him, had compassion. Same Greek word. This word is a summary of the gospel. How God has seen us and had compassion on us. Because sin had made us like sheep without a shepherd. It's the very promise that we see in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel talks about, in Ezekiel 34, talks about how the shepherds of Israel, the the elders that God had put over Israel, had abused the sheep and hurt the sheep. And now the sheep were in trouble. And it says, so the sheep were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over the the mountains and every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search for them and none to seek them. And a few verses later in the chapter, it says this. He says, I, God, God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. The lost sheep wandered aimlessly until the good shepherd set his compassionate gaze upon them. Notice verse 34 at the end. He began to teach them many things. Jesus didn't perform the miracles, or at least Mark doesn't tell us, that Jesus performed the miracles that these people had run across uh, on the side of of the Sea of Galilee to be. They wanted miracles. They wanted those things. But Jesus didn't give them what they wanted. Jesus gave them what they needed. And as Matthew says, he began to teach them about the good news of the gospel. It's interesting, the fact that uh, Jesus is the good shepherd tells us a lot about ourselves because shepherd, uh, sheep find innumerable ways to die. Sheep will drown. 
They'll get disease, they'll overeat, they'll starve. They die of hypothermia, of insect infestation. They will get stuck in fences. They will climb trees and get stuck in the trees. Their horns will grow into their head and get overgrown. They will poison themselves by eating weeds. They'll fall off cliffs. They'll die of depression and they'll be killed by all sorts of predators because sheep don't have a lot of resources to work with. It's not unlike mankind who, as Romans says, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. It's like Isaiah. Ocean Park, we, like sheep, devise innumerable ways to destroy ourselves. Lust and greed and gluttony, sloth and envy, pride and wrath, just to name a few of the deadly ones. Yet rather than leaving us as aimless sheep wandering around, finding all of different creative ways to destroy ourselves, the Good Shepherd looks upon us wandering aimlessly and He has compassion on us. And He gives us what He needs as Mark in chapter 1, verse 1 says, the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now if you notice in Mark Mark never tells us what Jesus taught. I believe the reason is he wants us not to focus on just the teaching. Mark wants us to focus on the person of Jesus. Aimless sheep that we are need the compassionate shepherd. And now that these aimless sheep sat in green grass, The text tells us, beside the waters of the Sea of Galilee, as the Good Shepherd taught them the message of the kingdom, a message that could restore their souls and lead them in paths of righteousness. Why? Because the shepherd looked upon the aimless sheep and had compassion on them. Ocean Park, only the compassion of the Good Shepherd can save you from yourself. Do you have questions but no answers? Do you have distress in your life but no relief? Do you have anguish but no deliverance? Do you have tears but no consolation? Do you have sin but no forgiveness? You are not sufficient to deliver yourself from those things. But this is the good news. The good news of the gospel is that there is a good shepherd whose heart overflows with compassion for you. Turn to him today by faith and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Save me. Ocean Park, when you feel the weight of our insufficiency, we can trust Christ's sufficiency because we have a compassionate shepherd but also because we have a generous provider. As Jesus taught the sheep without a shepherd, that daylight drew scant and the shadows lengthened. And gradually, as the disciples observed, they noticed a growing crisis unfolding in their midst. Notice verse 35 and verse 36. And when it grew late, his disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to a surrounding countryside and villages and buy for themselves something to eat. 
The crowd had swollen up to not nearly 5,000 men, it says, and that doesn't even count the women and children who would have easily doubled that number. And since the text tells us it was a spontaneous gathering, it is unlikely that many people in the crowd had prepared any food. And soon they would need time to be able to travel away from this desolate wilderness area to be able to find food and provisions because the place was so desolate. It was a wilderness. And as Peter began to look at his watch or his sundial on his wrist, he didn't wrap things up pretty quickly. These people would be in great jeopardy. Notice verse 37, Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? See, Jesus wanted his disciples to feed the crowd. And the disciples were flummoxed by this request. How in the world are we supposed to do this? And you can almost hear the exasperation or the sarcasm in their voice. Do you realize what it would cost us to be able to buy food for these people? You sent us off on a mission and told us not to bring a money bag. Where are we supposed to get money for this? It was the same thing that Moses said. Let me try it. There, the same thing that Moses said in Numbers chapter 11. But Moses said, the people around, who, uh, around me whom in number 600,000 people on foot, and you, God, have said, give them meat, that they may have meat for a whole month. Shall I have flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall the, the fish of the sea, all the fish of the sea, be gathered for them and enough for them? Like Moses before them, the disciples lamented the fact there were far too many people and far too many resources to feed the people. See, the problem was the disciples didn't realize that a greater Moses stood in their midst. A greater Moses who could cast out demons. A greater Moses who could raise paralytics. A greater Moses who could cleanse lepers and calm the storms with his voice. Who had take the broken people and make them whole. A Moses, a greater Moses who could raise the dead even. See, instead of looking to the greater Moses for provision, they looked to their own reason and they looked to their own resources, and they were insufficient. Ocean Park, how many times have you done this? I know I do it all the time. We look everywhere first, but to Christ. When we get in financial needs, when there are spiritual lacks, when there are broken relationships that we cannot mend, when there are physical struggles, we turn to prayer to the Father last. And we don't look to Jesus, we look to ourselves and our own reasoning and our own money bags and our insurance and all these other things rather than looking to the greater Moses who is able to provide abundantly for us. Like the disciples, we don't have the answers and we don't know what to do, but Jesus does. And the greater Moses was about to demonstrate his sufficiency in the face of the disciples' insufficiency. Notice verse 38. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. 
After a brief service uh, inventory, they determined that they had insufficient resources to be able to accomplish the mission. This, their resources would have fed a 12-year-old boy, but wholly insufficient in the face of such a monumental need and an impossible command. However, Jesus sees possibilities where his disciples see impossibilities. Despite pitiful resources, Jesus, like Moses before him, divided the people into manageable groups of people. It says Jesus had them sit in 50s and 100s, just like Moses had done before the elders of the people. And it said he looked up into heaven and he prepared a blessing, a common Jewish blessing. On, uh, it was a simple prayer. Praise be to you, O Lord. That's not it. Praise be to you, O Lord, King of the world, who makes bread come forth from earth and who provides for all that you have created. In the midst of the impossible, God would do the possible. In the midst of the impossible, God would do just that. Therefore, Jesus broke the loaves and he gave it to his disciples. And the text doesn't say how the, the loaves were broke and how the fish were multiplied, but it says that all the people received bread and enough fish. And notice verse 42. And they all ate and were satisfied. You ever go to communion and get that little tiny piece of bread and a little tiny cup, and you're really hungry because the pastor preaches too long? Not here, you know, out west. Um, and you're like, mm, that, I need more food. Your body's like, give me more food. I'm thinking, and, and out loud here, I'm trying to think, how do we represent the generosity of our God in the face that of little tiny communion crackers? But it wasn't like that. It wasn't just a mere crust of bread or a nibble of fish, but it was enough to satisfy everyone. 5,000 men and probably another five, six, seven thousand women and children. How? The sufficiency of Christ. See, Jesus is able to take the impossible and to make it possible. He's able to divide our not enough and make it more than enough. Not only were the crowd satisfied, but there were 12 baskets of bread and leftovers to eat later to remind them of the sufficiency of Christ. Archibald, the Lord is sufficient to transform what is insufficient and provide more than enough. When we know this, when we realize that we have a generous provider, it changes how we approach God. We come to God fully acknowledging our insufficiency and trust His insufficiency. Paul writes of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in your best ability, your education, your nest egg. No, your weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. Not my celebrity status, not my abilities, not my education, but my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for when I am weak, then I am weak strong. When we don't have enough bread, when we don't have enough money, when we don't have enough resources, when we don't have enough time, when we don't have enough answers, when we don't have enough, 
Christ, our good shepherd, is able to provide more than enough. I am weak, but thou art mighty, the hymn says. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. We honor the Lord when we bring him our insufficiencies and our impossibilities and our not enough. It changes how we approach God, but it also changes how we approach our needs. We give everything to Christ, fully acknowledging our insufficiencies while trusting his sufficiencies. When you and I have a need, and we, a great need, and we only have the equivalent of five loaves and two fish, we humbly give it to our God, our good shepherd, and we trust that he is able to produce more than enough and feed 5,000 plus. Ocean Park, we are a tiny little church. I t- talk to people at the seminary and they ask me, what's your church, Ocean Park? Never heard of it. No surprise, we're tiny. But you've heard of our master. You've heard of our good shepherd. You've heard of our Lord. His name is Jesus. And he is more than enough. There's nothing that you have in you or around you that is too old, too small, too uneducated, too simple, that cannot be used by Christ to produce more than enough and bring glory to the name of Christ. Elizabeth Elliot wrote this, was quoted in one of the commentaries, and I thought, whoop, thought it was gold. It's really good. Let me. Uh, if the only thing you have to offer is a broken heart, So offer a broken heart. So in a time of grief, the recognition that this is material for sacrifice has been a very great strength for me. Realizing nothing that I have, nothing I I am, will be refused on the part of Christ. I simply give it to him as the little boy gave Jesus his five loaves and two fishes with the same feeling of the disciples when they said, is this all we have? What is good for such a great crowd? Naturally, in almost anything I offer to Jesus, my reaction would be, what is the good of that? The point is, the use he makes of it is his blessing. We have no idea what God is doing in us and through us. And in eternity, we may be able to see it, but there's no promises of that. But God is working in his glory to do everything for his glory. Never say, this is too little for such great a need. Give it to Jesus. He is sufficient when our resources, our heart, and our faith is insufficient. During the adoption process, during the highs and the lows, Denise remembered this faithfully. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Oshabark, we are insufficient when the needs are great. And that's the good news. The additional good news is this. Jesus is a a generous provider who provides more than enough. Trust Him with your cares and trust Him with your worries, your anxieties and your questions with your five loaves and two fish and know that when we feel the weight of our insufficient we, we can trust Christ's sufficiency 
because we have a compassionate shepherd, a generous provider, and a faithful king. I know time is running. I don't know what in the world is taking time, but I, I'm only at 31 minutes. So I am not, I'm not preaching extra. I'm actually trying to rush through it here, but you need this. We have a faithful king. There's something beautiful, something when we get so familiar in the weeds of these stories, we think of the flannel graph and we think of the little bread that our teacher gave us and we remember these stories, but often we don't see Jesus. So sometimes what we have to do is we have to step back and be able to see this mosaic that Mark is putting together. And this is a picture of a mosaic in a a village that is traditionally uh, known as the village of uh, the Church of the Multiplication uh, in Taghath, T-A-B-G-H-A. That it's not right for English people. It's right. Um, but this is a mosaic, and it's a bunch of little tiles. And they're put it together, and when they're on their own, and they're all little stories, you can look at the tile, but the significance of the tile is lost until you put them together, and they're arranged together by the artist. And that's what Mark is doing. Mark is arranging these stories of these images and pictures of Jesus with all their colors and their shape and their accents and their complements with one another. And he brings in these tiles, uh, the picture of the promised shepherd that would gather his sheep and the picture of a greater Moses that would come to feed the people as only God could do and satisfy the people. And we also see that Jesus is a, a faithful king who provides and protect his people. Go back to verse 42. Notice this. Who ate and was satisfied? What does it say? All. Go back. Earlier in Mark, there was a great prophet, John, languishing in the prison of a debased King Herod, who through a lavished and debased feast for only a few, the elite, the nobles and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, the powerful and the privileged feasted on decadence while the, they watched young women dance for their perverted pleasures. The reality is that we are seeing here in the text is that Jesus is a new king leading into the wilderness and he is providing a feast for all people. A feast that will satisfy in the shadow of the King Herod's throne. All who dine at Herod's table are served bitterness and emptiness in his death, and his servants can only capture and bind and behead. All who dine at Herod's table in the kingdoms of this world will fill their bellies with food that can never and will never satisfy the hunger and the longings of the human heart. Herod is picture of the kingdoms of this world. Kingdoms that on social media and television and, and in the workplace will tell you you can find satisfaction from self-discovery and enlightenment and freedom, but it always fails you because it leads you to brokenness and bondage 
and an insatiable hunger that cannot be satisfied like salt water to a thirsty soul. The feasts of Herod and the kingdoms of this world will destroy you bite by bite and sip by sip. It cannot satisfy you. It will kill you. If there is a king whose food is able to satisfy all who come to you. And this is this beautiful exodus picture that's coming. Like the exodus in the Old Testament, Jesus is leading a new exodus with a new people led by Jesus and commissioned by the apostles and all who turn to Jesus, the new king. But rather than calling the elite and the powerful and the wealthy and the influential, he calls the humble and he calls the weak, and he calls the powerless to find shelter in the shadows of his wing. He promises the outcast and the forgotten and the marginalized a place in the flock. He invites the weary and the broken and the poor to sit at the king's table. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and his food is not the world's hollow decadence, but the abundant, life-giving bread of his presence. His food satisfies the longing of our souls, and his generosity provides more than enough. Ocean Park, I ask you this morning, will you come to the table of the faithful king? The prophet Isaiah announced that coming king that would be Jesus come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what does not, is not bread and your labor for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and you delight yourself in rich food. Ocean Park, I ask you this morning, Will you give your king all that you have, all its insufficiencies, all your questions, all your doubts, all your fears, all the things that you say, this is ridiculous, this is not enough, this is insufficient. Christ is sufficient. Jesus calls you to trust him and open your heart to the food he offers you by faith. Fill your stomach with the richness of his word, not the empty calories of this world. Find a place of abundance, not of carnal material abundance, but um, abundance of knowing God and fulfill, having your greatest need for peace with God satisfied in the kingdom, not the dank dungeons of this world. Give him everything. Give him your heart, your hands, your money, your mind, your jobs, your family, your five loaves and two fish. Give him your not enough. He is enough. Give him your impossibles. He is able to make things possible. Give him your insufficient. He is sufficient. Until that day we eat the food at the table of our Lord in Zion, we say, Guide me, O thy great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. The good news of the Gospel Ocean Park is that we have a compassionate Savior, a generous provider, and a faithful King. Therefore, when we feel the weight of our insufficiencies, 
we can trust Christ who is sufficient.